This is the Earn More as a Life Coach podcast with Victoria Gibson, episode 23. Welcome to Earn More as a Life Coach with Victoria Gibson, the marketing resource for life coaches who want to transform more lives with their coaching and earn more while they do it. Today, we're talking all things retreats and particularly how to create and host an amazing retreat. Is it really possible that you could bring together the best clients, share your biggest passion and host it all in a beautiful destination and get paid for it? Well, it absolutely is. And as a life coach, you're in the perfect position to create and host your own retreat and make great money at the same time. Now, I hosted my first retreat back in 2013, and since then, I've held several in upscale Bali resorts, on Sydney Harbour, overlooking the Opera House, and at a high-end health retreat in Hunter Valley in Australia as well. And some of my insights I want to share with you in this episode. I know that a lot of you might be interested in hosting retreats. I definitely hear that from a lot of my clients. So I thought it might be a great idea to break it down for you. Some of the things to think about, some of the things to understand if you're ready, and some considerations that you might not have thought about yet. So picture this. It's nearly 9am and an eager group of women enter the light-filled room, journal in hand and take their seats, ready to soak up the opportunity to come together with others on the same journey. Those who value improving themselves, contributing more and upskilling to make a bigger impact. They've invested a significant amount of money, time and energy to make it here and have a lot of excitement, anticipation and expectation around what they'll experience on the retreat. And now more than ever, after all feeling the pinch of isolation since COVID, the immersive quality and the connection of a retreat that creates change and will build bonds is something that's really hard to recreate with any of your other coaching offers. But how do you know if running a retreat is right for you and how do you get started? Well, if you're already clear on your offer and the outcomes you can create, a retreat is a great way to fast track results, but also create the power of community around your coaching. Now, you don't need to try and squeeze everything you know into a retreat. The gift of it is in the space and connection it creates. And you don't need to wait until you have a certain number of years of coaching experience to get in and host one. You just need to be clear in wanting to create and nurture a connected experience and lead participants on their journey to transformation. And although it seems like a really juicy offer to make, it's certainly not for everyone. There are also so many things that you need to factor in to protect against an unmitigated disaster. Now, thankfully, I haven't had any of those, but I've definitely had some things that haven't quite gone to expectation. And I've had potential clients come to me having hosted retreats that have ended up costing them thousands and others who are committed introverts who have wanted to bring people together and make great money, but they underestimate the energy in-person events can take. As in, I've gone to retreats, paid quite a serious investment to be on them and discovered really that the coach is really introverted. Like they leave us on our own for dinner or like walk out, oh, I have to protect my energy. I've seen that a lot. And I feel like a retreat is very much a chance to take people through an experience. And although you don't need to be there 24-7, you definitely should be there for those key moments where you are really bringing everybody together and taking them through that. Well, that's my opinion anyway. Obviously, it's not everyone's, but 
I do feel as a participant that has been a bit of a disappointment when oftentimes people are coming on a retreat to really spend time with you as the leader and the coach. So yes, protect your energy and I'll cover that in this episode. But if you don't like people and you're a real introvert, then a retreat may not be the best opportunity, despite the fact that you would like to go and take a trip somewhere nice and get paid for it, right? Because fair warning, it's not for the faint-hearted. And those expectations that I mentioned before about those women streaming into a room, they're real, particularly if you charge what you need to in order to make them worthwhile. And that brings me to more of these common mistakes most coaches make when they're looking to host a retreat. So let's go through the top four of them. The first of all is pricing. Now you want to make sure you can cover all your expenses and get paid for your time, energy and travel too. Not just the time that you'll be with your participants or that you're hosting sessions, but think about the whole chunk of time that you might be away from home, your family, from door to door, what time that is taking. People often leave that out when thinking about what to charge and valuing their time appropriately. The issue is you also need to price it to sell. So it's not like there's this limitless ceiling on what you can charge. There is like an expectation about what people might be willing to pay and trying to find the intersection there. Now, the best way to increase the price that you can charge is to increase the value, okay? And I definitely help people do that in that offer creation process. But it's mindful that, yeah, it's not like a a limitless ceiling generally. If you want to get enough participants there to create a feeling of community as well. One of the biggest factors will be how you plan to get people to say yes. And if it's outlining the retreat on a sales page and sending it to your list and hoping people will click buy, then it's probably going to be on the lower end of the scale, more like around your $2,000 range. But if you're going to sell your retreat on a webinar, which is what I recommend, or perhaps a mini live workshop in your Facebook group that then leads to a one-on-one conversation, then you can definitely increase the price more like around the 5 to 10K per person. So the second mistake often becomes managing expectations. And by expectations, I mean those, I brought it up a couple of times already in this episode, the expectations of the participants. And they have a lot of expectations from dietary requirements, like the endless list. Who knew there could be so many different dietary requirements? I most certainly didn't until I came into coaching. And I have the marketing background, so I've definitely hosted events in the corporate sphere. But wow, this comes at a different level. And sometimes these dietary requirements can have a real impact on the cost of your retreat and managing your expenses as well. Oftentimes, participants have a desire to tread their own path. They have very set ideas about their experience and their, their time away that they've invested in. So trying to manage that and get everybody on the same page can definitely create some work for you to do. And I advise that you do that before the retreat, but be prepared to have things thrown at you and be prepared to be nimble with that. Now, if you're not great at adapting to things that come out of the blue, managing others' emotions in a group environment, then perhaps you might want to think about having a Girl Friday. It's probably a really old sexist term now to say Girl Friday, but a bit of an assistant or um, some kind of help that is like your go-to person for the retreat. But if you're just starting out, it's usually not financially viable to do that. 
I know in my retreats, I have really taken on that role because I am a bit of a natural organizer and connector and I'm used to planning a lot of logistics and things. So it comes kind of naturally to me. I don't mind that side of it at all. But think about, are you prepared for that? And does that bother you? Will that railroad you if somebody wants to kind of put a fly in the ointment about something that's happening on the retreat? How will you handle that? So managing your attendees' expectations is a really good place to start beforehand. So giving them a retreat pack before they even leave home, like what is going to happen? Now, there's a balance here. There's a delicate balance. You don't want to give them too much information because then if you want to change plans or something runs over, people can get really miffed about that as well. So you want to kind of sit in the middle where you give blocks of time and just mainly share with them when they're going to have their breaks and when their days are going to end, what you're going to be doing in the evenings, if anything, as well. That's in terms of main agenda. Obviously, you'll need to give them more idea about some other travel logistics and things like that too. But once again, when you get involved in going to another destination and travel logistics, sometimes it can feel like you're turning into a travel agent, which is really not very fun. So I'll talk about choosing the destination and how that can impact that in this episode too. You know, sometimes I've had people who didn't want to come on a group surfing trip that you plan as an excursion. And then people are like, no, I just don't want to do that. And you've already planned that out, paid for people to go. It's part of the whole bonding experience. But it's people's right to say they don't like to do something, particularly if they're <laughs> investing to come along. So you need to decide how firm you're going to be on those boundaries of people needing to still experience some of those essentials. Like a surfing trip, that's fine. No big deal if people didn't want to come, but it's kind of annoying when you pay for it. And I typically wouldn't tell people that we're doing it until just before because otherwise then (laughs) you tell people too much detail about what they're going to do and it will bring up stuff in people and then people, oh, they have something against it or what have you. Now, that is fine. I'm not into bullying people into doing things they don't want to do, but just keep that in mind that your great ideas may not be their great idea of fun. So have a bit of flexibility. I always just went, okay, that's fine. You don't need to come and they can stay back. And I'd always have enough people that would come anyway, so it wouldn't matter. But be mindful that just because you think it's a great idea and that you put it in the agenda, not everybody's going to think it's a great idea. And some people are cool with that and other people might make that more of a big deal than it needs to be. Obviously, you've got to think about health and safety as well. Even with the surfing retreat, one time someone did get a surfboard in the stomach and they were feeling a little off after that, obviously. You know, how are you going to manage that? What if that had got worse? Now, in that instance, I was on a joint retreat in Bali, so I had a co-leader. So if I had to take someone to the hospital, I would have been able to go. But you've got to think about things like that. Like, what are the contingencies? There are a lot of things to think about in that regard. One time, and this was also a co-led retreat. Someone went to the day spa and then we're going to start the session after lunch. And then they called having a panic attack about the thunderstorms and they couldn't leave the day spa. So, you know, I had to run across with an umbrella and try and calm them down, get them back across to the session. But those sort of things can really derail you if you let it. So you've almost got to be prepared for anything, but also create those contingencies and understand that humans are humans 
and retreats and transformational opportunities can bring up a lot of stuff for people. Now, particularly in that health retreat that I had mentioned, that was like a full no sugar, no dairy, no flour, no alcohol. So people were going through detox at the time where we're looking to deep dive with them to grow their business as well. So you can imagine what extra layer of stress that brought up also, which we did not even really think about, which sounds crazy and that I'd been to that health retreat before and I knew what it was like, but I just was thinking more about how we were going to create this amazing experience and how great it was. But from a transformational perspective, adding detox in in the mix can be a bit of a problem, right? So be thinking about maybe you'd like to have somebody there who's going to take all that on for you. Or you need to step into your role as cruise director, as I like to call it. One of my ex-mastermind clients called me Julie, the cruise director from The Love Boat, because I love planning things and getting people together. So retreats suit me in that regard, but you've got to think how open you are to doing that as well. And that comes to that third mistake of not being aware or not being thorough enough with the retreat logistics. You might pay someone to organize this for you, but once again, that's going to really cut into your margins. Retreats just aren't quite as lucrative as many people would believe. You know, you think, great, I want to get paid to go away and we're going to have this amazing time. But these things really do cost quite a bit of money and they're a bit of an investment. And in order to make it accessible, sometimes the margins can be quite slim. So don't be thinking this is a license to print money and get paid to go on vacations. Yes, you cover your travel expenses, but you generally may fall short in covering all the hours that you're there. So that's definitely something to be aware of. But skipping over basic logistics, which are easy to do when you're starting out, can cost you a ton of time and money. So finding the right venue, it gives you connection. It gives the right atmosphere that you want to create with your clients and your participants, but without living in the same house as them during the retreat is advisable. Because even the most dedicated extrovert needs some time alone during a retreat. So you want to make sure that this is possible. You don't want to be sharing an Airbnb with people coming on the retreat. Otherwise, you will have nowhere to go. So I've usually chosen to hold retreats where everyone has their own hotel or villa room or even books or accommodation nearby. So the retreat becomes the venue during the day, the activities, the excursions and the evening meals and entertainment and then they can book whatever level of accommodation that suits them. And then that also means you don't have to factor in the cost of accommodation into the cost of the retreat price. Obviously, that is still what they will need to invest in, but you don't have to list that as a price if you want to perhaps list the price on a sales page. It's up to you. I do find that definitely do not have them all in one house. You will start to feel quite overwhelmed, no matter even I'm very extroverted. I look at, to be honest, I've never done it because I just haven't fancied that idea, but I have been to some and I can definitely see on the people who've held the retreat, they're starting to wane by the end of it. An ideal length of time as well is about three days, I find. I've seen people do like five to seven days. That is a lot of time to be on. Like I said, I love to show up. I'm a dedicated extrovert. I get my energy from others, but at the end of three days, I'm very tired. So you want to make sure that you're choosing the right amount of time. And don't skip the detailed agenda, even if it is just to build in some free time. I know I said Don't give them too much detail either, but give them a breakdown of what the days are going to look like, the blocks of time, not every individual activity to the minute, but you know, when lunch is, when you're going to start the day, when you're going to finish the day. 
and what they're doing in the evening. Because retreat members can be like small children. They love the security of knowing what's going to happen at all times. But you want to be able to read the room and be flexible. If something big has kind of happened or they're all seeming to flag with energy, maybe you need to switch things around a little bit. Try and keep within the timeframes though, if you can. Or build in some free time. Just because you're offering a retreat doesn't mean they have to be with you the whole time or you're coaching that whole time. You could have other speakers come in, fun experiences, ones we've done are like perfume workshops. I said the surfing retreat, massages, beauty treatment, tarot, sound healing, all those kind of things can work really well to give you a little bit of time. Yoga, all of those good ones to lean on or just say, hey, I've organized a beach cabana. You guys can go down the beach and just mingle and have time together, which is super fun because a lot of the time people are just kind of wanting an excuse to get away from their everyday obligations and write it off as a tax expense too. So the fourth thing is expense blowouts to avoid. Many venues require deposits and spend minimums and the catch is that you need to have the venue booked before you know how many people are definitely coming along. And that can mean a deposit is required before you even know if this is going to sell. So finding a venue that gives you a great luxe experience that suits your brand, that suits your intention for bringing people together and allows for that to happen, but doesn't need a deposit straight away can be great. Sometimes if you've been doing them for a while, like once I've been doing them for a while, it was fine. I had an idea of how many people would be coming and it wouldn't impact too much if I didn't totally hit my numbers or if I went past, I had flexibility because I was generally dealing with a hotel. So we had a lot more space. But Bali is a great retreat venue. That's why a lot of people have retreats in Bali because there's plenty of accommodation options and many are not ridiculously expensive, but feel really, really luxe, like very tropical vibe, villa vibe, can be jungle or it can be beach. And there's heaps of options, which is great. And I even found this super cool villa, which is perfect for an eight-person retreat, particularly if your people are going to come and twin share. Each of the villa rooms had a really big bathroom and it had a really huge communal pool and communal living area, but you really had your own space in your villa room if you needed it too. And it was super reasonable. It's called Freedom Villas in Samanyak and Bali, if ever you want to have a look at it. But for larger groups, I've also used a W Hotel in Bali, super luxe and very cool, very pricey though. So the price needs to reflect that too, but it's really great. Lots of support from the function people there to help you with some of those details. We could do cooking experiences, beauty treatments. Once again, we had our own conference room where we could sit and do the workshop stuff, but then beautiful meals and just amazing. So that was definitely an exceptional experience and really, really great fun. So don't forget, you can always get people to add on their own accommodation. Even at the W, if people didn't want to pay $300 a night for a room at the W, they could go and pay $100 a night, $50 a night, or bunk in together if they wanted to at other accommodation nearby because it was centrally located. So you want to think about the location too. There can be advantages of having somewhere that's easy to get to but still feels like a getaway. And that can happen out in the country somewhere. I've been to a retreat in Sonoma 
Valley and those rooms were like I think $600 a night and I was kind of like I don't want to pay $600 a night on top of this Sonoma resort and luckily enough I had three other friends going and we got an Airbnb but I've got to say you kind of didn't feel quite as lax when you saw people at the hotel and you're like oh I'm in the dodgy Airbnb across the road but the retreat was still great and it was great to meet people most people are going for the connections they're going for the getaway so don't load them up with too much stuff I know you're going to be afraid that you under deliver, but you really won't. Just be very thoughtful about the planning and the trajectory of how that works through. And don't underestimate the masterminding that happens between participants too and how that can help people through a transformation. It doesn't have to all come down to you. Now, alcohol is another thing. It can change the experiences people have, can cause accidents, can cause hangovers, but it can lead to some more unpredictable things happening. So, I mean, I've always said, yeah, sure, I include alcohol in my retreats, but just know that also bills can get high at the end of the night when you're paying for those. People tend to be like, woo, I'll have another drink. It's on the house kind of thing. And that can blow out your budget. Now, I've been on other retreats when I was in Marie Folio's mastermind even, and she was like, no, I don't want you drinking on the retreat at all. So we go out to dinner and we couldn't even have a glass of wine. Now, that was a bit like, I felt like, oh, okay. And it's fine if you don't drink. And I kind of get it that sometimes things can get a little out of hand, but it might also be a budget thing in that instance as well. Like it makes your bills a lot cheaper and more predictable. So the other time when Denise Duffield Thomas and I hosted a retreat at the health retreat, there was no alcohol there. So that was easy. So yeah, just think, will you allow alcohol when you do? Maybe you have like a cutoff time and then you let people know in advance, like, yeah, we're going to have drinks or we're going to have cocktails with dinner or before dinner and wines with dinner, but only these wines. If you'd like anything else, you can definitely just set up your own tab with that. People are fine with that. As long as you tell people in advance, people are really fine with things like that. If you are keeping things in line there and you're not really feeling like <laughs> buying all the pina coladas for everyone. But I also want you to allow for your personality style, know how you like to interact with people and also aware of the unique personalities of attendees too. I would be having a conversation with people or a detailed kind of application process, even if it's written and you don't have a personal conversation, have a look at their profile, understand the kind of preferences they have, the kind of life they lead, even, you know, maybe even ask them to do a pre-retreat workbook to get a sense of that as well. And if anyone starts to become a bit unreasonable or there's red flags before, do not hesitate to just pull the pin before they get there because you'd rather be doing that than deal with the fallout when you're there. So here's some other things to think about when planning your coaching retreat. Like I said before, plan for profit. Even if your biggest goal is to create an amazing environment for transformation, you also want to make money. And that means you need to scope out the experience and outline all the costs. Think of all the costs and think of all the questions and things that your participants would want to. So my advice is really just to start small and make an intimate and premium experience rather than thinking, okay, I want to get like 100 women together. Because when you want to get a whole lot more people together, you are going to have more to invest with venues and things like that. So sometimes they ask you to have room blocks. There's just a lot more risk, especially if you haven't run one before. And I think it's nice to be able to create a high-end experience with, say, five to eight people and put a $5,000 price tag on it. Depending on where you're going, it might even be more. But 
definitely that's a great place to start, particularly it's like what I say with offers to creating a high ticket offer. You don't need a ton of people if you don't have a big audience, which means you can still get moving, create great results, and you can make other offers when they're there. If this is a standalone, you can make an offer there into your coaching program. Or if you want to incorporate it into your offers, into your yearly or monthly coaching program, you need to factor that in or add that as an additional. So when they join your mastermind or your group coaching program or become a private client, this could be something that they are invited to, but that's an additional cost. I used to include it in my mastermind cost and that worked well, but that was part of it. But also be aware not everyone wants to come on a retreat or sometimes people can't make it. So that can also become like an objection to people joining a coaching program. It's easy to get carried away with the dreams of palm trees swaying in the wind, but this is a business decision, not a vacation. So keep that in mind. You really want to map out the experience for people, like I said, as well as the outcome. Think about something that you could deliver within the retreat, what kind of transformation, whether it is taking them through your weight loss method, whether it is a relationship retreat, giving them the tools they need to go back and improve their relationship with a loved one, whatever it might be. But it's like anything, we want to have a clear outcome and value proposition for this. And like I said, three days is a great place to start. And you can have a bit of a looser retreat. You don't have to have a big like, hey, I'm going to double your business in two days or anything like that. It can be about being surrounded by like-minded people, but be careful not to crowdsource what people want from retreats. I did this once. All these people kept saying, I want six to seven figure marketing advice. We're already at six figures. We've worked with you before. I really want to come and be with other people at that level. And then I put it out there and then I had trouble filling it. So Be true to your general positioning and offers and who's on your list because you are going to need a marketing campaign to make it happen. And like any offer, a conversion event, whether it's a great sales page and a launch email sequence, maybe some webinars, maybe you have some other audiences you can tap into through affiliates or what have you, but you're going to need to have some kind of audience. Generally trying to just run ads to a retreat, it is tough going because people who want to go on a retreat want to get a sense of who's hosting the retreat. It's not something that works as well for ads to cold traffic. So they're the main things that I would advise in terms of jumping in and going there. And it's generally that next step. Start having a few coaching clients first, understand how you like to help people, what kind of people are your people, because you're going to spend some more time with them on a retreat. So you want to be clear on that. And then pick your location and go for it. They can bring up so many great experiences and memories and they're definitely something I look back on super fondly and I've been lucky enough to go, you know, Las Vegas, London, like I said, Bali, Sydney, all over and also do it with some buddies where, yeah, you have to split the profits but you can really create an amazing experience. So I would definitely advise to go for it but just bear in mind those considerations. I'll talk to you next time. Hey, Life Coach, are you ready to attract all the clients you need? Come and join me in Coach Co. It is the simplest way to become a six-figure life coach sharing an offer you love. Just head over to victoriagibson.com forward slash coach and check it out. I'd love to have you join.